Well, hello. I'm Aaron Tate, and I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five this week. What up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. I'm sure you noticed we have new intro music. I thought it was a good time to freshen things up a bit. The old intro was an excerpt from the song Kangaroo by Winnetka Bowling League, but the one you're hearing now was written by a very mentioned friend of mine, Gunnar Olson. So thank you, Gunnar. I love it. Hope you all love it too. All right, this week's guest is Aaron Tate, founding member of the Seattle-based indie rock band Minus the Bear, but he's also played with many great bands throughout his career, including Kill Sadie from Minneapolis, Ghost Work, Time Pieces, etc. In addition to running the Indie Drummer Collective, which we get into right off the bat, Aaron has an incredible ability to weave his way through odd time and syncopated phrases with seeming ease and confidence. He's a legend and a big inspiration to a lot of my peers growing up, especially because I grew up in the Northwest. I've known Aaron for a few years now, but this is the first time we've had a chance to chat like this, and I was really grateful to say the least. Please, please, please go check out Aaron's discography. He truly is a drummer with a uniquely unique creative voice, and uh, you're amazing, Aaron. So thanks for hanging out, and uh, here are the top five records that shaped Aaron's approach to the drum set. Cheers. So million dollar question, how would you describe yourself as a drummer? Oh man, way, way to just throw me off right off the fucking <laughs> know, dude, I'm sorry. Um, un, unorganized. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I, I don't even know, man. I, I, I feel so, I feel so uneducated and all over the place when I play drums. Uh, everything is just kind of like whatever the fuck I'm doing. Right. Or whatever fits. If, if I'm playing with a band, whatever fits with the music or I, you know, I feel like fits with the music. I don't know. I really have no idea. It's hard. That's a hard fucking question. It's the hardest one. Yeah. I I, I don't usually ask it, but I know it seems like you listen to what's going on and you help kind of point people in the right direction uh, with your beats, which kind of, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is you have an incredible way of weaving in and out of time signatures. I'm sure you've heard this all before, but how do you approach a song that has a very interesting time signature? How do you, which parts do you break down first to kind of give yourself a direction? Uh, I mean, if it kind of depends on the riff, um, it is like, for me, like I'm not, I'm not like a technically good drummer. Like I've never had lessons. I don't know. Like, you know, you, you tell me a rhythm pattern. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like everything for me is totally feel. So if I hear a riff, I'll, you know, say the riff is in seven. Like sometimes I'll break it down in my head. Uh, you know, like this is four and then three, or this is three and then four or two and five. And so I, it's always just kind of like feel, um, and, and it changes all, all the time, man. I, I have no like method to the madness at all. <laughs> there's, there's, there's not a lot of like thought put into this stuff. It's just kind of whatever feels good or what, you know, whatever, uh, 
wherever the kick and snare kind of land that make it feel appropriate for the part, I guess. Yeah. I wish I had like a better math wizard. You know, there's like, there's this whole fucking equation, Ben. And you know, it, no, that's, that's just, it's just not the case, you know? No, I think just as many people that also don't have a method need to hear that answer. Cause they feel insecure. They're like, I, I do. I, is my workflow shit? Do I not compartmentalize in the right way? And, um, I could have seen that go either way, you know, I, like, oh, I, I make little charts. Like there's that, that meme mm. of Charlie from Sonny where he has all his little <laughs> schematics in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Or you're just like, I mean, I've, I think we're going to talk about one of your choices later on, but, um, Ringo, I mean, from what I've heard, he's like, I just think of the riff. I don't think of if it switches the beat or if there's like an extra beat on this one. And he just thinks of the song and the riff and that's how he creates his stuff. So. Yeah, totally. I, I I guess I guess I hadn't heard that about him, but that's pretty similar. You know, it's just like whatever the feel is. And there's a lot of bands, I guess, or things that I've done before that I like don't even really think of it as math because it's just me and the guitar player writing the thing, and then all all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, that is you know, that is different than four four or whatever. But it's it's not a whole thought process um that said like sometimes i've been in bands and this was something that in minus the bear that i i did a lot as a songwriter was uh was turning simple parts into more complicated things and going you know we have a riff that's just straight four and i'm like let's play that in three let's you know just like how many different variations of it because sometimes there's like you know that perfect fucking mathematical equation where you're just you know, you never would have thought of it because you know you're just jamming the riff and four, but dissecting things and trying to make them different or um, different for the sake of making different, I suppose, is, is something that I um, I really enjoy doing in in songwriting. It's just trying trying different variations of things, and um, you know, it's always a feeling. Like I said, you know, like you you can try a hundred different things and you're like, nope, I was wrong. Let's just play, play this straight. You know, that's the, that's the way to go. <laughs> Holy here. But, shit. Was that bad? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was, uh, that was a waste of a fucking hour. I'm sorry, man. But you know, but then sometimes yeah. it's the secret sauce, you know, sometimes it just hits right. And you're like, Oh, I never would have fucking thought of that unless we thought of it. Did you feel, um, or do you feel throughout your career that you've kind of gotten better at producing yourself in real time. And I ask that because there are so many times and I still struggle with this all the time that I think it's the coolest thing in real time. And then you go in the control room and you're like, that is the most non-musical, non-groovy thing I could have <laughs> ever thought of ever. Uh, I think it kind of depends. I mean, it, it depends. Like I have, you know, in the last, since the last minus the bear record that I was on, I've played on like a few things and it's been like, you know, pretty low budget or like very remote or time, you know, time sensitive where we're just like, get in there and fucking bang it out real quick or whatever. Um, but definitely like, you know, when I was in that band, um, for sure, you know, I had parts all the time where I was just like, this is fucking jamming. And then we'd walk in and I'd be like, this is utter garbage. Let's go rewrite <laughs> yeah. this. And um, yeah, you know, I, I guess, you know, I uh, going back to kind of the like self-taught uneducated thing, it, you know, sometimes that can come with a lot of self-doubt, you know, and like sometimes trying to produce yourself um, gets tricky in that sense. And you're like, you know, you're just like, oh God, someone just fucking tell me what to do. But then at the same at the same time, when you're like a fucking weirdo control freak like I am, as soon as someone tells me what to do, I'm like, God damn, man, no way. <laughs> yeah. I liked it till you said it. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so before we get into your choices, I do want to talk about um a group that has become a big part of your life. You're basically Mr. Boss Man, um, but in the, in the You're a Good Boss, which is the Indie Drummer Collective. Um, can you explain a little bit about what that is and why you started it? 
Yeah, totally. Um, thanks for asking. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, somewhere around April, March, April of 2020, it was like, you know, it was pretty obvious to me that like pod- podcasts started popping up. Uh, you know, it was just like everyone that was touring started trying to figure out other things they could do to hold their fucking attention because we all have weirdo attention spans. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was I was in the same boat and I don't want to listen to myself talk um, personally. And I this is I don't you know, I I don't do this often. I, you know, thanks. So thanks for having me, Ben. But yeah, it's not something I, it's not something I do often, but, um, uh, you know, it was, it was what, what, uh, what can I do like to relieve my boredom? And, you know, like I'm not in, I'm, I'm in a band, but I'm not in like an active band anymore. And I haven't been in fucking five years. I'm, you know, I'm a social worker now at this point. Um, I've had a large career shift and mental shift and everything, but you know, I still play. And, um, I was, uh, I was, talking to chris um daily from texas at the reason uh jets to brazil etc uh 108 fuck yeah krishna core um anyhow i you know i briefly knew him just through social media and you know i'm a huge fan and him and i were talking and i just came up with an idea um where i said why don't we each cover pick a drummer and or a band and we'll each cover it and we'll like release it at the same time and go Hey, here's my song, and here's Chris's song, and then Chris goes, "Here's my song, and here's Aaron's song," um, and we settled on. And he was like, oh, "I I could do that," and it took a little convincing because it, you know, it's just kind of drum covers, you know, like <laughs> drum covers are fucking weird historically. And uh, uh, but he was like, "Okay," I, I talked him into it by doing uh, Sense Field, and so in like April of 2020, uh, him and I each did a Sense Field song, uh, Scott McPherson, mm. and. Um, and then it was awesome and we loved it. And some of our other drummer friends were just like, dude, that was super cool. So, you know, I went to Chris and I said, what if we did this once a month? And he said, yeah. And so we started by getting, um, we each kind of picked a few different people. Uh, Tucker Rule from Thursday is just like an obvious choice because he's amazing. And Chris brought in um, Charlie Walker from Sam, um, Sam I Am and um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and Luke from Piebald. Anyhow, we each picked a couple people. Ryan, um, such a huge fan, Ron Marshall from Christie Front Drive. And, you know, it kind of started as this thing. And Chris and I went through every, like, hashtag we could find to, like, try to find a hashtag that wasn't it. And uh, Indie Drummer Collective was the hashtag that didn't do it. And, you know, so anyhow, it started in May of 2020. Um, and the first month we did it, you know, 20, 10 more people were like, that's cool. Can I do this? And um, it just became something Chris kind of bowed out after the first month. I think he only did one, uh, we call them themes. Um, but it's, you know, it's grown. There's, um, it's gotten massive and fucking out of control. Um, but you know, I, I run it. Um, cause I, again, I'm like one of the only people that's not in like an active band. So I run it and it's kind of been my baby. Um, we just did the 21st theme, um, last Monday, this last Monday, um, but after, after th- once we got through 2020, you know, my, my big goal was let's, let's find a, let's find a reason to do this and not just like us wanking each other off all the time, even though that's like super fun. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, my big goal was once we got enough people and once we got enough, like, um, you know, numbers, I guess, as much as I don't like thinking that way, um, let's play for charity. And so starting January of 2021, um, every month we pick a different charity and we all, uh, we play for the charity and, 
um, it's gotten really cool. You know, like I'm, I'm now like a fucking nonprofit liaison and I go to these people and I talk to management and I figure out strategies of how to, mar- you know, do this stuff with them. And um, it's just gotten so fucking cool in that sense where it's like, you know, we can, a bunch of nerds can get together and pick like, oh, we're going to play songs without drums is the theme for this month. And then 20 or 30 of us do that. And we get to raise money for charity along the way. Um, and it's cool. You know, it's weird. It's, you know, it's everywhere from like dudes like me who don't do it much or dudes like you who are, you know, like you're, you're in the group, you know, yeah. not, not a, not an incredibly active member, but that's the other thing too, is, is the way that I run it is there's, uh, I think there's 123 people right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, so I keep track of 123 people, um, but you can kind of come in and out with how you're busy. And, you know, there's drummers that I know from touring and minus the bear who are like little guys. And then there's, you know, guys like Zach from Jimmy Eat world and Matt Cameron from Pearl jam and Soundgarden, And, um, you know, so there's a lot of heavy hitters. Uh, but the coolest fucking thing about it is that it's over, you know, like we essentially all trauma bonded through a pandemic. Right. Cause we all mm-hmm. talk every day and there's like a chat. Um, it's really become like this weird family and like we're all like really supportive of each other and um so like on the i have no idea what it looks like from the outside you know like when anyone's like oh blah 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 this is this cool thing i'm so connected to it that literally i'm just like oh this is me and ben talking or this is me and matt cameron talking or blah 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 um but it's it's become a really cool thing um and i'm you know i'm really proud of it and we're gonna just it grows all the fucking time and we're trying to break into different things and I, you know, I always have like a million ideas that I want to do, but then the pandemic keeps fucking us up, but, um, <laughs> it's cool. Well, you should be proud of it. I mean, I won't get into the specifics, but there's been many times where you guys have shown me how great the crew is as a whole, uh, many times, uh, I'll say many times. Um, and so where, where do people, if they want to be a part of it, if they want to learn more about it, if they want to help with the charity, how do people find it? We're mostly run, mostly run on Instagram. Um, just because that was the easiest, like I ran it from my personal Instagram for ever until someone was finally like, why don't we just create a page dummy? Uh, it's also, we, we do like, full I know it's album. funny that it takes the drummers is like, oh yeah, shit. We should obviously yeah. make a page. Well, you know, again, it's, it, it didn't seem like anything more than, you know, like me and you talking on something we want to do, you know, like it, yeah. at the time to me, it didn't seem like that. And people were like, Aaron, this is like a cool thing and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I guess we could do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's mostly run on Instagram. We have like a YouTube page that does our full albums and we do a segment called drummers talk with bass players where we do this exact thing and a, a, the rhythm section connect and talk about that kind of thing. Um, and then the charities are all connected to that. And that's, that's mostly it. As far as being a part of it, it's, um, it's grown so big that it's kind of pretty selective now. Um, Cause sure. it's, I mean, it's, it's like a second job for me, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I work my nine to five, and then between work and, you know, coming home, I'm, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. So we, we kind of just have to be a little more selective now as far as new members, but it's, you know, like I said, it's ever fucking growing. So it's fucking big. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of one of the names you said, um, for your birthday this year, a bunch of the drummers did covers of your songs, yeah. which are, if, I mean, surprisingly hard, not, not surprisingly hard, but man, you have some, you have some drum parts that are pretty fun to play along to. And Matt Cameron covered you. I don't know necessarily how big of a deal, um, his drumming is in your life, but I would assume to many people, I mean, seeing Matt Cameron cover your song, how'd that feel? 
Um, it was cool. You know, it, it was it was weird. Like I um, minus the bear played with Soundgarden when they started doing the reunion stuff, um, and like he's never been like he's amazing. You know, he's he's so fucking good at drums. But I wouldn't say he's like an influence of mine. Like I hear mm-hmm. Soundgarden. Um, I was never like into the grunge scene, and you know, I I, I moved here in 1999, so I, like I missed all that. Um, like I've always recognized him as being an incredible drummer, but there's you know there's other drummers in in the group who I'm like way more starstruck by. As far as you know, like um, I've been a massive Jimmy World fan since mm. the, their first record came out, and like I you know I I love Zach Lynn's playing, and you know I. Um, there's there yeah i mean so it but it was fucking cool i mean you know to be honest like you know are arguably in you know one of the biggest rock bands in the world covering one of your songs and like yeah he he covered a b-side song which means he was really digging through the crates but you know he's you know like i introduced him to the collective and we we talk you know fairly often and um it didn't feel i mean i know the whole thing was an honor like i had no idea they were doing it like mm. i worked i worked on my birthday and like i literally had just fucking i literally just narcan to someone who was having an overdose in their apartment on heroin and i like went outside to go calm down because i was my fucking heart was rushing and i was dealing with the paramedics and i like walked out and uh jeff Jenstrabloom texted me and he said i hope you're ready for this and i went what and then all of a sudden my Instagram notifications just started going off and I mm. sat in my car, you know, after this fucking crazy rush of just like literally narcanning someone back to life, that happened. And I just started fucking bawling and it was just like post after post. And it was, uh, you know, besides some of the stuff my daughter's gotten me for my birthday, it was definitely the most like touching birthday present that you could ask for, you know, and, and it was cool because it was, it wasn't just minus the bear songs, which, you know, is like, kind of what I'm, I guess I am would be known for. It was, you know, some people dug around and did some other stuff that I've done, and it was uh, a massive honor. It was huge for me. I cried. I cried a couple times. <laughs> As you should, man. Cry it yeah, out. Yeah. Hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co., it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time 
and I just kept thinking about it. And so the opportunity to get it again was presented, and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum. Check it out. Reach out to me. Go to Vessel Drum Co. The Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co. And check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. All right. Well, I do want to get into your, your choices. And are these in order, the ones that you sent to me, of kind of when they were introduced to you? Roughly, yeah. Okay. I, would, I would maybe switch one around, but it's it's pretty roughly, yeah. Okay. Well, the first one is uh, a record that I need to get back into. It was when I was younger. It was a, it was a big deal. But um, uh, it's I was listening to it earlier today, and I'm like, damn, this record, Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction, which was released the year I was born, 1987, and that is Stephen Adler on drums. So so yeah, what's what impact did this this record have on you, and and when? So yeah, like thinking about this, like when you brought up this top five thing, like I'll, I'm just gonna go ahead and say like. Not all of these picks are because of the drums, right? Sure. Like, as I said before, like I'm not the most drummer drummer. I, I really love songwriting. And um, so a lot of that, I'll say that. That said, the fucking drums on App- Appetite for Destruction are perfect. Like mm-hmm. note for note, like there's not a lot of records that I say that about, um, like in my opinion, right? Uh, but Appetite for Destruction is one of those records where I just think it's, perfectly written and whether it was him or the producer or whoever the fuck it was it's great the thing about this record for me was you know i was uh, i was born in 78 so i was you know a bit older than you and um this record came out and it was it just changed everything um you know there were hair metal bands at the time and there was you know like rock and roll and uh kiss was like the first band that i was ever really into uh, like kiss is what essentially got me into music but then Appetite for Destruction came out and it just kicked ass. Like there was no fucking doubting it. Um, Kiss was my first concert. It was Kiss and Wasp when I was super young. Like I was mm. a little bitty kid. But my second concert was Guns N' Roses opening for Alice Cooper on the Appetite for Destruction tour. So that's a long time ago because they were opening for someone, right? Like I think Welcome yeah. to the Jungle. I think Welcome to the Jungle had been out for whatever. Um, and I, I saw them live and it was just that. It was. I would imagine what people, you know, younger people in the 70s felt when Led Zeppelin came out, where it was like all this music was happening and, you know, there was prog and blah, blah, blah. But Led Zeppelin just kicked ass. And that was it with Guns N' Roses. It was just like I hadn't, you know, for my age range and what was going on with hair metal and poison and, you know, all that stuff. Like it was just this flat out fucking LA rock band. Um, and that was like the epitome for me. And I wore that record out. That was it for me for a long time was appetite for destruction. So you would have been nine when it came out. Were you, were you drumming at that time? Or was that just like the record was like, whatever this is, I want to be a part of this energy. Yeah. I think I, I think I'd started drumming by that point. Um, Cause like I said, kiss was like the thing. I think I, I think I picked up drums around seven or eight. Uh, it's, de- it's debatable. The the one and only other interview that I've done, which was uh, with Chris Enriquez, I, I was actually before the interview, I had to call my mom and go, when did I get my first drum set? <laughs> yeah, I, I always forget that shit. But yeah, I was probably seven or eight. So that was I mean, that would be a, a time where I was definitely like, wanted to kick it into, you know, learning how to kick ass more. Yeah, that record too. I mean, there's obviously a, a lot of dr- uh, great drum moments, but it's not an unapproachable record from 
a beginner to intermediate drummer. You can still like, you can grasp yeah. what's going on. The Indie Drummer Collective did that as a whole. And mm -hmm. um, I, I sat out actually, because I didn't want to play it. I wanted to hear it. Um, and it was fucking great. <laughs> it was super good. <laughs> Well, I do want to play a little bit of, of a song from that record. Is there one that I know, obviously, it's like, what's your favorite kid? But is there a song you think that would be a good uh, introduction to someone who doesn't really know this record that well? I fucking love um, Rocket Queen, the, the ending track on this record, man. God damn. that snare yeah so good This beat, the um, boom, boom, tat, boom, boom, tat, became the beat of the 90s. Yeah. Every Everclear song, every, <laughs> any song. I mean, but this how, is... how, how good is that rhythm section right here? Like, that fucking I'll, bass groove, so good. I would assume when they recorded it, all that kind of intro vamping guitar stuff wasn't there. They're like, hey, just, just drum and bass for like 16 yeah. bars. We'll figure it out yeah. later. Just you guys hold it down. Yeah. Again, like in that in that Zeppelin-y kind of way where the rhythm section would just play a blues riff. Yeah. And then Jimmy Page would wail over it and then it would kind of transform based on the skill of those players, but Exactly. Yeah. Axel's the man, dude. Dude, also I gotta say, man, fucking that rhythm guitar player, Izzy Stradlin, who played on that record. The way that the bass and the rhythm if you ever go if you're ever bored, go back and listen. Because obviously Slash is the shit right like all that weird stuff but if you ever go back just listen to the way the rhythm guitar and the bass play together like it doesn't get much better than that rock and roll wise it's pretty sick <laughs> to have to introduce yourself i'm the rhythm guitar i'm the guitarist in guns and roses oh are you slit no i'm the rhythm yeah. guitarist yeah. even though he's you know could run circles around <laughs> so many people um all right, number two, and even though um, this guy has been brought up a lot, he doesn't get brought up enough for me. So uh, Phil Collins, and this is Genesis, the album's Invisible Touch, and it's a, a year before the one we just listened to, and this came out in 86. So yeah, what about this record just really, really drew you in? Uh, so this is, like, so Phil, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know me, Phil Collins is my dude. Mm. Um, Phil Collins is the, you know, like, He's such a fucking badass. Like his songwriting is fucking incredible. His like adaptability, his drumming, like everything about him is great. He is the to me, you know, like the the drummer that is everything. You know, like I guess what people nowadays see Dave Grohl as, right? Like everyone's like, Dave Grohl's this fucking he was the best Nirvana drummer, and then he's this Foo Fighters, blah blah blah. Like Phil Collins was that way before. You know, like he was the fucking drummer of Genesis. 
and he killed it as the drummer of Genesis. And then, you know, I mean, if you know anything about that band, just like this incredible theatrical, brilliant singer leaves your band and the fucking drummer steps up and then makes the band more popular and more accessible, you know, and like uh, the people complain about Phil Collins being poppy and stuff, but like there's a slew of records between the seventies and early eighties that were still really fucking proggy and still really fucking creative and cool that people just kind of seem to forget about. Um, Invisible touch for me was, it was right age, right time. Um, the land of confusion video came out and it was right around during a lot of like Reagan politics and stuff like that. And I was young, but the thing that I had the cassette tape, but the thing that really stood out for me, and this is why I added it to this list was the B side side two of this record has, um, has this uh, moment on the record uh, that I had in my brain at that time from listening to guns and roses and kiss and the sex pistols and, you know, stuff like that. I didn't know you could do this. There, there's a song called Domino Part One and Part Two, mm-hmm. and it's it's two basically different songs, but they essentially tie it together to be one really long prog rock song. I wasn't listening to Yes and King Crimson at this time, right? I was more, I, this was it. And what I what I realized is it was the first time songwriting wise that it opened my mind that you could do something more than a three or four minute song. And you could weld in incredible variations of songwriting to make a big piece of art, which took up most of the second side of this record. And I carried that into I carried that into Minus the Bear a lot. Um, the Planet of Ice record, the I think three records in a row have uh, that exact same thing, where there's two songs that we purposely you know, made into one cohesive piece of music. We split them up by essentially one. I think one of them is even called part two. Uh, there's a song on planet of ice called Dr. Laling. And then there's a, a thing that's called part two, but it was based off of essentially my, this childhood thing that I had in this record without even really realizing it, it was pretty massively influential. And then again, that went on th- through multiple minus the bear records after that. So it was pretty, pretty big for me. Yeah, I, I'm curious how we're going to do this because I want to play the whole thing just to show that yeah, it, is, it is a ten, almost an 11 minute song. Yeah, but um, maybe let's just play uh, maybe a minute or two, and then I'll fast forward to a second part of it. <laughs> it's your show, man. I'm just here. <laughs> here we go. So yes, this is Domino Part One and Two off Invisible Touch. He even sounds like even sounds like Peter Gabriel a lot of the time. So good. And the drums kick in in this song. It's pretty fucking sick, man. I can just tell I can tell Zach Lind to watch this episode, but fast forward to this part okay, because yeah. he because he's such a Phil fan, oh, a yeah. maniac. Yeah.
good. So good. The Phil, Phil Collins here. Perfect. What is the quote? It was like a Neil quote. Neil Peart. He's like, self-plagiarism is good, but repeating yourself is is a sin or something like that. <laughs> Where it was really cool. It's like you can, yeah. You just he's definitely, you know, referencing himself, but he's still making yeah. it. It's, it's cool. So good. Alright, now I'm gonna go to eight minutes into the song. <laughs> yeah. Same song. Same song. So good. Yeah, I think my girlfriend has described his voice as the voice of God. He just has Amazing. a certain emotion about him singing. All right. Well, for everyone listening, listen to the whole song, you know, take a whole afternoon off and listen to this one song all the way through. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but what, a, I mean, what a badass. I've seen him. Um, I've, I've flown out the, on his, uh, not dead yet tour or whatever. I've flown mm-hmm. out a couple, a couple times to see him. I flew to Minneapolis to see him and I flew to Vegas to see him. And, you know, even as an old man, his voice is still pretty fucking great. And then his son on the drums is just just stupid i mean we could we could get into a whole hour talking about him alone but uh, i'm hoping i'm hoping there's some west coast genesis dates because you know with the COVID, i don't really want to fly to the east coast but i will if i have to we've actually been talking about having an indie drummer collective gathering where we all just get together at some place so it it might be around something like that where i would where i would fly out to the you see yes guys lit around a genesis concert i'm sure all the drummers would find an excuse to have that be a tax write-off just for education purposes we're we're in man (laughs) Yeah. No, there's a video from like maybe a month ago uh, on the Genesis tour that um, maybe you've seen it. It's like a minute long clip and and uh, Phil sitting kind of on the drum riser watching Nick play. Um, and you can there's so many emotions going through Phil's face because you can tell he obviously wants to be the one behind the drums. Yeah. But he's also so grateful that he's playing in front of people. You can kind of looks out in the audience and then he looks at his son and he's like, I'm so proud of you. And is there's like so many things going on in this little clip and you're just watching Phil. Like it almost makes you cry because you're like, yeah. he's obviously struggling physically at this point and um, emotionally in the video. It's, it's really cool. I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards, but yeah, I've got plenty of, I've got plenty of footage from those shows that I went to that I'll send you as well. Some three drum person things, stuff that like they did like a 10 minute drum solo or the percussionist nick his son and then him are all doing stuff and they all come together in this three-part rhythmic way shit this fucking unreal man jesus yeah please send so, that to me um all right so number three and we already kind of referenced him but it's uh from the beatles ringo star and the album's revolver uh which is i think one of the coolest album covers of all time and uh, came out in 1966 20 years before invisible touch i mean the Beatles, right? Like, what more do you really have to say? Um, yep. You know, to this day, you know, if you ask me who my favorite band is, it's the Beatles. And it's, um, you know, a lot of it is because of the music, but a lot of it is just for what they fucking did for music. You know, like if you spend time and you listen, you know, even if you don't like them, if you spend time as a musician and just learn about what 
you know, what they went through and what they did and how, you know, dudes like me and you wouldn't be where we are right now, or it would just be different. You know, it would just be so fucking different. They were the first band to do so many things um, in, in just such a heavy level. Me and my daughter just watched to get back over this last weekend, the fucking nine hours of that. Um, (laughs) They've been, they've been, um, this was the one where I said, I wasn't sure if it was really in order. The Beatles have been, uh, I was late to them. I've always liked them, but I didn't really get into them until I was. um, So maybe it's not, maybe it's pretty in order. Um, I didn't really get into them until I was like 16 or 17. And then when I got into them, I became fucking obsessed, man. I read every book. I watched every movie. This uh, I picked this record just because I think it's my favorite of their records. Tomorrow Never Knows, the ending track on this record, is like the fucking sickest thing. Like, it's just unreal. And especially if you think to, like, when, you know, when that record came out and, like, the backwards sample, no one had ever done that shit. And the sitar mm-hmm. stuff they threw in, like... It was that record between Rubber Soul. I think it was between R- Rubber Soul and, if my memory serves me correct, which is shit, but between Rubber Soul and Sgt. Pepper. And it was like the perfect middle record, you know, like Tax Man was the opening track. You know, it's just like I love Rubber Soul, but it's because it was different. It was definitely like when they started getting, when they started smoking pot and getting different, you know, they weren't, they weren't like the Fab Four on Rubber Soul, but this was the record where. You can really tell like they're starting to lose their fucking minds and it's brilliant. It's yep. fucking brilliant. Yeah. And so I just this this is always like my go-to all all the time. Yeah, and I think I think this is where they really got and again, I'm not a wouldn't claim to be a historian when it comes to their gear, but they really double down on the Fairchild, the limiter, and his drums are so squashed on this record. Uh, she said, she said that, that, and, and also tax man. Um, yeah, but the drums uh, are fucking, um, this is like one of, this is one of the first records where his drumming really, like, I was like, God damn, man. Cause it was all, you know, the pop love songs and stuff, which sure. are again, fucking phenomenal, but this is like, they got weird and his, mm-hmm. his drumming got weird. His drumming got weird right along with it. And like, you know, I, I, maybe it's set, I don't know, in my brain, at least in my, his, my historical thing of the Beatles it's set it set a tone for how things were going to be for the rest of their career. Yep. She said, she said, um, we've talked about it before. We actually did a Ringo episode, um, with Frankie Siragusa and he kind of talks about, she said, she said, where it's a great example of him where he's, he's famously known to be like, I do fills when the singer stops singing, you know, and he is so good about the back and forth in that song. But Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 unreal, man. But yeah, I think, you know, Tomorrow Never Knows was that first song that I ever and there's a million other songs, I'm sure, at this, you know, by this point. But it was the first time where I was like, oh, man, you can go into a fucking trance, you know, like it set it sets you into this just crazy mode um, that, yeah, it's just so fucking unreal, man. And that beat's just so good, too. Exactly. Let's just play a little bit of that. Tomorrow Never Knows.
Isn't it just one note? No, 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 no. It doesn't change, right? Just hanging pretty out much, on that one yeah. note. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, this is a great example of someone says, just do a Ringo thing. Yeah. Something, something so eerie about it. That's that's some shit, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I will. So full disclosure, I've only watched uh, through halfway through part two of Get Back because I just haven't had the time to sit down. And my girlfriend appreciates it. But I think listening to it and it's awesome. Your your daughter uh, either was into it or humored you enough to watch it. But it, it's 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 more appreciated by band members that want to see how a band works. It's not the most stimulating thing for non-musicians, but to see them work and specifically to see Ringo how he navigated that. Cause I've, I think I said this on the, on another podcast, maybe I, I, uh, deleted it, but I always thought Ringo looked so bored and sad in all the yeah. stills. Cause he's just like this, but he was just, he was just waiting for his turn. He was literally letting them do their thing. And it was really cool to see or to hear all these songs that have really cool drum parts, but as they were writing them, he's just doing the most basic eighth note rock just because he knows his role. He's like, I'm not going to try and think of this cool rhythm in a, in a little bit or wait for Paul to mouth it out for me. I'm just going to do the most basic thing. And it was it was reassuring to me because I'm not sure, going back to the original question, if if when they give you a riff or something, you immediately try and go, okay, I'm going to write my part now. Or if you're like, let's just let them get the arrangement out, get a basic drum part going, and then on the way home, I'll think of how I can make it my own. Yeah, you know? totally. You throw your own touch on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, like he's not, you know, he's never been a drummer where I've been like, fucking Ringo's the shit. I mean, he's the shit because he's a fucking Beatle. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've had I've had his haircut for fucking 30 years. I love um, your hair, dude. <laughs> but, you know, like watching, actually watching him, because it's not like I've seen him play live and I've seen footage and stuff, but it's, you know, it's always crazy fucking crowds. Um, and it was earlier songs, you know, like the fucking Love Me Do's and stuff like that. That was just really simple. Um, so watching him play, actually, uh, this last weekend, my kid and I, um, my kid looked at me and she said, I've never seen you so concentrated on something, Dad. Uh <laughs> It was awesome. And I it it actually made me go, wow, like what a fucking good drummer. Like I couldn't play that fill. And it wasn't something that um, you know, again, I just never I I guess, you know, if I'm being honest, I've kind of always written him off as a drummer a little bit. Um because he's not John Bonham, because he's not, you know, he's not Neil Pert, you know, whatever. Like, but he's sure. fucking great. He's great, man. And that I mean, that fucking documentary is really insane. But yeah, you know, you're right. That whole like kind of laying back and waiting for his thing is totally him. He has such a unique feel. Um, yeah. and I'm not sure if, if it's really him reacting to them pushing and pulling and actually the physicality of, you know, maybe Paul doing this a lot, but you try and play along, play along to some of those, those later records where they're getting more weird and out there. I literally, I can't not flam with him. I yeah. it, it just, I can't find his feel. Um, and I mean that in the best possible way he pushes and, and, and when he needs to and pulls when he needs to, it's, um, it's insane. You just, I mean, like anyone who, who writes him off, try and play along to him and you can't. 
Totally. I mean, like what you just said about it, and this is the thing about the Beatles for me, at least personally, and why I consider them the best band is the thing that you just said about him and his kind of individuality is uh, it's all four of them, you know, like all four of them are fucking incredible. And there's a lot of bands out there that have, you know, like, oh yeah, all five of them are great or the four or whatever, but like, they're not all fucking incredible. (laughs) You know, there's always, there's always that fucking keyboard player or that, you know what I mean? (laughs) That fucking sat. No, I'm joking. But um, that, you know, that's that's just every every one of them was just their own fucking could have been their own band on their own. Yep. All right. So I mean, we could talk about Ringo all day, but let's go to the number four, which is a record that I don't, I haven't gotten into this band, and I am embarrassed because so many of my friends that I look up to that have great taste in music, you being one of them, of course. Now, they are obsessed with this band. So it's a tribe called Quest, and the record is Low End Theory came out in 91 yeah again time and place for me um i have this thing and like i've done when people in interviews uh back when i used to be interviewed um people would always ask me like who who's your favorite drummer right and i never really have an answer because it's such a fucking varying thing right like i can answer Stuart copeland i can answer blah 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 um a drummer who's not a drummer that really shaped me and i almost put this record down instead of what we're about to talk about was dr dre the way that dr dre creates beats is uh and you know the chronic in particular right like when that came out it was mind-blowing so whenever i do interviews or whatever i did interviews i would always say that dr dre has a massive influence on me but kind of going back to this theme in my head of like things it's not just the drummer right it's it's the record and how that changed me and stuff um sure tribe called quest is they're you know especially for my age and whatever they're that hip-hop band they are the one that changed the fucking game and low end theory in particular um really did and it became you know they created this whole fucking like what how have i heard i've called i've heard it called backpack hip-hop you know where it was like these like you know it, it i mean for me i mean as a fucking you know weird um you know kind of i think i was like 13 or 14 year old white kid in in minneapolis minnesota like it was acceptable for me to listen to them and whatnot and it grew um more so than like the beastie boys you know the beastie boys were who they were and it was you know a joke and then all of a sudden it wasn't a joke and they started taking themselves seriously and paul's boutique and check your head but Travel Call Quest was just always fucking great. And Q-Tip is just a fucking genius. And um, I, I, I spent a large portion of my teenage years, um, I quit playing drums for a long time when I was a teenager and I solely listened to hip hop. I stopped listening to rock music entirely. And I just became, I would say for at least a good three years, I became completely obsessed with um, like Native Tongues, um the the like all of those groups like jungle brothers black sheep uh, but tribe Called quest was the one that for me just set it off and it changed like when the song scenario came out and they performed live on arsenio hall uh which is that's how old it was mm-hmm. i couldn't even like that was the first ever prefer- performance of buster rhymes um and you know before he was it, it was just nuts it was it was so I couldn't believe because you know before that a lot of hip-hop was you know it was your nwas it was your gangster raps it was your old school grandmaster flash it was your epmd and rock eric b and rakim and like all that stuff was fucking amazing but tribe called quest just made it into um something completely fucking different and that record in particular do you know where he got a lot of those samples for those drums or and do you kind of know the backstory to a lot of those 
There's an incredible documentary about the band um, that he talks a lot about that. Like I, you know, Alicia He Muhammad was the DJ of that band. And so Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I always assumed that the DJ would write the music. Right. Uh, But then watching the, it's like, it's like a Tribal West documentary watching it. I realized that Q-Tip was actually the one that did it. And he he shows uh, in the documentary, he talks a lot about beats that he sampled. um, And it's, you know, it's everything from fucking rock records to, uh, you know, other hip hop records to soul to, um, yeah, it's just, it was a really, and, you know, not that people haven't since then haven't done it, but I, you know, I feel like it was way more, uh, he was way more creative with it. And, um, also, you know, a lot of hip hop songs at the time were really just, you know, it was like one section, right. And you know, you'd have a verse and a chorus, but not a lot of people were throwing in bridges, uh, intros, reintros and structurally, I feel like Tribe Called Quest uh, changed a lot of that as well. I'm sure Rick Rubin probably had some shit to do with that in his own <laughs> sense, but for me personally, that I mean that that really changed stuff. And then the record afterwards as well, uh, Midnight Marauders is just also fucking insane. Why to to go over something you kind of glossed over? Why did you stop playing drums for those few years? Um, I think I kind I think I kind of I don't know. It was just kind of boring. Um, I didn't. I guess, you know, what happened is I probably didn't see that I could play hip hop. Like That's just the music I got into. Um, I, rock just kind of lost its... And there were bands that came out every now and then um, that I would listen to. And it's not like I, it was 100% hip hop, but I would say it was 95. Um, and it didn't occur to me that, you know, a white kid could play hip hop drums. It mm-hmm. felt, you know, it felt kind of cheesy to me. Um, even though in some of that time frame, like Atmosphere uh, came out of Minnesota slug he and he's a white mc um it was it was possible there were and there was um but i got really involved uh in me, me and my older brother uh, and then a bunch of people i knew got really involved in like the culture and uh graffiti break dancing um hip-hop or whatever and it just became uh i think i was about 14 maybe when that started it just became all-encompassing it was so uh the hip-hop culture again in the midwest right like i'm just kind of <laughs> watching it from afar um yeah. you know the the east coast the east coast west coast scene was so uh like nothing i had ever fucking seen before and it was so amazing you know it wasn't just like the la fucking rock scene of going out going to strip clubs and fucking partying at the this thing it was this like it was a culture you know it was mm-hmm. way more of a culture i guess and so it became uh that and it just you know, again, I, I didn't even think of it that I could play drums to that music, at, you know, to that music at the time. Um, I mean, what? you can tell, I, I feel like you can tell it heavily influences my drumming. Yes. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of dance beats and stuff like that. And, you know, it was, um, there's a million other records that I could have put on this list as well, but, you know, just a lot of the like hip hop R and B stuff is, um, how I got a lot of my flair, so to speak that opening track, man, like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Again, like, you know, for what hip hop was at the time, and then you throw that shit on, and it was, it was fucking mind blowing. Well, let's just play a little bit of it. Excursions cool. by a tribe called Quest. Back 
back in the days when I was a teenager Before I had status and before I had a pager You can find the abstract, listening to hip-hop My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop I said, well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles Way the Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael It's all expected, things are for the looking If you got the money, quest is for the booking Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode Still got room on the truckload of black gold Listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture of this black man, black woman picture. Why do I see that? Cause I gotta speak the truth, man. Doing what we feel for the music is the proof. And planet on the ground, the act is so together. Gonna fight strong, you need leverage to sever. The unit, yes, the unit, yes, the unit called the jazz is delivering each year an LP filled with street goods. You can find it on your rack in your record store. If you get the records, say your thoughts are adored and appreciated. Cause we're ever so glad we made it. We work hard, so we gotta thank God. Dishing out the plastic, do the dance till you're spastic. If you diss, it gets drastic. Listen to the rhyme, cause it's time to make gravy. If it moves your booty, then shake, shake it, baby. All the way to Africa, aka the motherland. Stick out the left, then I'll ask for the other hand. That's the right hand, black man. Only if you are noted as my man. If I get the credit, then I think I deserve it. If you fake news, don't fix your mouth to word it. Get in the zone of positivity, not negativity. Cause we gotta strive for longevity. If you buy chum, what's in that? What? A pair of Nike size oh, 10 oh, and a half. There's that thing on TikTok now where it's like a metal song and it's like, try not to headbang to this. And it's like a, the challenge. Yeah. Try not to nod your head to this. Dude, it's like film yourself. You can't not. <laughs> that's the thing about hip hop, man. Like, and like what I was saying with Dr. Dre, like you throw on any Dr. Dre song and you instantly bob your head. Yeah. I can play the same drum beat, exact same drum beat. And I don't have it. I don't know what it is, man. There's just, there's just this thing that like, and as a drummer, there's just this thing where it's like, what do you have? What is, what is it in you that can create instant movement? You know, mm -hmm. like you have to fucking move to it. And as a drummer, like that's incredible, right? Like what a, what a cool fucking thing. I don't know TikTok because I'm old. <laughs> I only know it because of big fat snare drum. Believe me, yeah. I don't have a personal account. Um, <laughs> but uh, this record also makes me want to throw away all my symbols, except my hi-hat. It's like, there's no use. You don't need them. Yeah. Or or drum fills. How about you just stop playing for a bar and then come yeah. back in on the four? That's all you need yeah. to do. Yeah. We did, um, in the drummer collective, one of the themes that we recently did was was uh, 90s hip hop. And mm -hmm. it was it was the first time that, um, it was the first time that we had ever done, we did a, we did a 70s um, R&B theme, which was really great. And that was really early on. But this was like two months ago, we did 90s hip hop. And uh, and it was fucking awesome because it wasn't a bunch of drummers fucking like going, I'm going to fucking play this song or that song. You know, it was just like, yeah. a and you know, maybe it was boring for a lot of people just watching a drummer fucking lock into a groove. But from the inside, we were all like so excited and it was so fucking cool to watch a bunch of, you know, indie rock, punk rock, heavy metal drummers like try to do this, this thing. It was, I, I really liked the theme. It was really fun probably the most challenging thing too it's like get these people that they they're so used to doing these things and fills every eight bars or four bar and how about you just lay it down that's scary as hell yeah it was it was really <laughs> fucking weird man but it was yeah. it was cool it was really great i mean that's the thing is we you know we do this every month so it's like whatever we'll just do this one and the next month we'll do something fucking different and um yeah. I, I had been really i had been really wanting to do it um the not to get super off topic but 
we uh, we had this idea. Uh, I had the idea of um, a collective doing a collective, and so my initial thought was, um, "What's the fucking Motown backup band that I can't remember right now?" Off the oh, top, uh, the Funk now Brothers. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, you know, a collective doing a collective, right?" And then, um, and then I thought of Native Tongue, which is like all that all those groups I was just kind of naming off, and I was like, "How cool would that be for you know a bunch of indie rock, heavy metal, blah 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 to do a hip hop collective?" Um, but and just like everything, we put it to a vote, and then Rosie, who's one of our drummers, who's insanely awesome, um, brought up the Wrecking Crew. So we ended up we we did a Wrecking Crew theme instead. But that's kind of what started me down the hip hop road. So I was like. Okay, I'll, I'll let that one go, but we got to do a '90s hip hop one, and so, so, so that was really fun. But Tribe Called i didn't do a Tribe Called Quest song, but um, definitely that was. You still have time. I can do whatever the fuck I want, man. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, you can. I'm a grown um, up. <laughs> well, no, and I also <laughs> like, and, and I it, your response, you know, being like, "Hey, is it a drummer's record?" and I'm surprised how many drummers don't feel comfortable talking about geeky drum records. And that's, that's kind of why I was like, no, no, just any record that shaped you. Cause yeah the, yeah, the records that shaped me aren't really, you know, I like acoustic, you know, like, yeah. or just piano music sometimes yeah. more than I would choose a drummer record. You know, most of the time I like the most basic drum beat that I can play along to and then do my own thing on top of it if I want to practice, but I don't yeah. really listen to proggy music. Uh, um, I mean, I you know, there's a time and place for it. You know, it's, mm -hmm. there's, there's sometimes where I can put on a fucking yes record and be like, fuck yeah. Uh, but also it's not always for the drumming. Yeah. You know, totally. like, I'm like, dude, your fucking key keyboard playing is sick. You know, like totally. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love pop music, you know, like I'm a massive fan and that's, you know, I, and, and any kind of pop music, like whether it's your Phil Collins fucking pop or whether it's fucking, uh, Taylor Swift, you know, like I, I like it all. And I, for, for me, it's about, um, it's about the immediacy, you know, um, mm -hmm. where, where you hear something and it's just like, boom, in whatever regard it, it is. And, um, uh, that, you know, whenever someone can do that, whether it's a producer or a songwriter or whatever, um, something that just fucking knocks you out, you know, like that, like with Dr. Dre beats, right. Where it's just like, you know a fucking Dr. Dre beat because he just has this fucking immediacy. And uh, yeah, sorry to get off a little bit, but I'm totally with you. That immediacy also, um, from a drummer's perspective, the uh, the athletic, the physicality behind certain genres that I used to be insecure about talking about songs I used to listen to, like pop punk growing up, Blink-182, mm -hmm. and those like newfound glory. And as a, as a late, in my later 20s, I had a few years, I was like, I wouldn't even mention that I used to listen to those because it'd be like, really? Yeah. But then it's like, I don't listen to those anymore but when i go in the practice space and i just want to get some aggression out or i'm having a weird day i'll still play along to those because there's a physicality behind that that i cannot yeah. get playing along to something by the beatles you know yeah and so i i i have a whole new appreciation for certain kinds of music because i try and interpret it like why do i like this oh it's not because i'm just appreciating the music it's for a whole nother reason yeah. um all right well let's go to number five and uh sunny day real estate which is uh, the album's diary came out in 1994, and is it is Sir William Goldsmith on drums? Yeah. Um, so you know, this is obviously there's a pretty large gap between Sunday Real Estate and then me being a 43 year old man in 2022, right? 
Um, so there's a million other fucking bands and records that I could have done, but putting this kind of in the time frame perspective, um, this was the record that pulled me out of my not playing drum slump. Mm. Um, I, I had started playing a tiny bit with, uh, with a band, um, a, a little bit, but it wasn't anything serious. It wasn't anything fun. And I don't know how, where, what the fuck happened, but I heard, um, return of the frog queen by Jerry, Jeremy Enoch. Um, which is his first solo record that came out after Sunny Day. And I was like, this is a weird motherfucker, right? Like the opening track on that record was, I was just like, this is cool. It's all strings and uh, it's really crazy. And Jeremy's voice is just nuts. Um, and someone was like, oh yeah, he's the singer of Sunny Day Real Estate. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And uh, someone played, put fucking Diary on and put that first song on. And I was like, holy fuck. Like this is wild stuff and my mind was fucking blown and i listened to it and listened to it and listened to it and then i got the pink record which i like more now even mm -hmm. at the, even at the time but diary was the one that like opened it um and then that just opened up a can of fucking worms for me man and it was like oh well if you like sunny day real estate there's this whole genre of music called emo and e emo is a bunch of guys that used to play hardcore music because i was i was mildly in the hardcore scene just based on people that i knew uh in minneapolis uh, and they were like these are all these guys who used to be in hardcore bands who heard this is what i was told they all heard sunny day real estate and they decided they wanted to play other music and the two main bands that came from that were promise ring and texas is the reason and then from those it was fucking mineral and then it was jimmy world and then it was you know it just opened up this whole world and it got me wanting to play uh drums again and that was it and then from there i ended up joining this starting with my brother uh this band called kill sadie um and that was like when that's that's how i got back into like music essentially but it all came from i mean that fucking that opening i mean all of the songs on diary but like it's just that was like nothing i had ever um you know for my age range and you know blah 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 you know again i would imagine in you know it would be the equivalent of hearing fucking keith moon you know like mm. or back in that day or whatever but it was so um it was so like just eye-opening to me that like you know it wasn't i heard someone else say this about a different drummer it was something that like it wasn't oh you know jason trebu from um the casket lottery was talking about this with a drummer that when I, I asked him once what his favorite drummer was, and uh, he was saying that it was it was something it was a goal that was obtainable, and listening to William Goldsmith, like I I don't think I could play like him, but I could play like him, mm. and you know it, so it was this goal that was like obtainable, and I and then I heard you know again like fucking I mean I, now I listen to it and I'm like you're crazy Aaron, but uh, you know Chris Chris Daly like the Texas is the reason that first full length, and then um, Dan Didier from Promise Ring like. I still can't play Dan's beats at all. Like I, whenever we've done the Andy Drummer Collective Secret Santa, I'm like, please don't get Dan. Please, you know, I don't, I don't get how he plays. But like, those were a couple of those records, and you know, it really did start from from Williams shit. And you know, like then I moved to Seattle, and uh, you know, I met William, and I met all those guys and stuff, and I was just like, oh the fuck, and you know, just hearing about all of that. Them again, they're all being in these hardcore bands and starting. What kind of music is that? what do you call Sunny Day Real Estate? Like, it's so different. And, it, you know, I mean, the way that, you know, the way that that was explained to me where all these people heard that band and started wanting to play it, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But like, you know, I can tell you that 
it had to have had some form of a domino effect because no one was doing that before sunny day how'd you how'd you meet william uh, fucking Kill Sadie was after we had all moved to Kill Sadie moved from Minneapolis to Seattle and we were playing a show, um, in a suburb of here with a, this, I don't know if you remember, there was a band from Seattle cause yeah, you lived here. Yeah. Uh, there was a band, there was a band called Juno, J-U-N-O. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I lived mostly in, in the Spokane area and then I moved back in 2012, yeah. but I was over in the East side for the most part. Um, there was this guy, Arlie Carsons, who was kind of a, you know, he knew everyone in bands, but he was in this band called Juno. Um, they were, they never really like broke, but they were, you know, Seattle popular. They played shows or whatever. And I think Arlie must've known William and William showed up to one of our shows. Um, and I, you know, this is right after we moved here and I fucking flipped out and I was like, I can't play drums in front of that motherfucker, you know, super weird, but William's humble as shit and cool as shit. And, um, I don't think we actually ran into each other for like a while after that, but um, we definitely started talking again. And um, he went through, he went through a phase where he, you know, he quit playing drums for a while as well. Um, And then I think it was um, right when they recorded the fire theft record and it wasn't done yet. And he would come over to my house at night and play me like rough mixes and stuff. And we were just, you know, drunk as shit or whatever. But um yeah, that, that that was it. And he's yeah, I mean he's just he's William, you know. I don't he's always one of the he's just that drummer in our genre, in you know, in the genre that I guess that I would kind of identify with. Like there's other people who are more technically better, there's you know, blah blah blah. But he's just I think he really did define um, you know, a thing with Sunny Day for sure. I mean at for sure with those first two records. Like mm-hmm. It's, you know, probably I've heard a lot of drummers say that, you know, he overplayed, blah, 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 blah. But like, you know, I, I don't know if, if anyone knows uh, me at all and knows the band Kill Sadie that I was in, people would describe me that, you know, it was like that was Aaron Tate on cocaine, um, figuratively and literally, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, it was all over the fucking place. But yeah. William, <laughs> William was all over the place in the most beautiful way. You know, it was so, so fucking great. Do you do you think I mean this is all conjecture but do you think he's aware of how cuz he's brought up a lot I mean he's I I hope that he's aware how much of an influence he is on people and I hope he doesn't take the negative aspects of parts of his 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 career um if you know what I mean um I yeah. I hope that he acknowledges that Um yeah I I think he does um you know it's that it's a tricky thing you know that was really hard for him um Sure you know, knowing, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you watched that Foo Fighters documentary that has that, and it was really brutally honest. And I, I thought, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I've met Dave a bunch of times. I know Nate uh, Mendel very well. He did it. Um, I've spent a lot of time with him and you've interviewed um, him too on the, yeah, 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 yeah. He did a drummer's bass players thing with us. And, um, you know, it was, and I, and I know William well, you know, and I thought they did a good job at making that honest. Um, and, you know, I've talked to William. I don't, it's never one of those things where I like, you know, he's fine. And he knows, he knows that, um, he, and he's, like I said, he's a really humble guy. Um, he really, if you tell him, you know, you're like, Oh, you're fucking good. He's the first person to be like, dude, but you played drums on this and that fill you did. And he'll name a fucking song, you know, like he's breaking yeah. out fucking kill Sadie or minus the bear songs that I've like, you've heard that, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, shit <laughs> because he's, he's just, he's such a musician's musician, you know, and he, he, cares 
so much. Like he's so deeply rooted in drumming, um, which makes him, you know, it makes him beautiful to me. Like he's just, he's, he's one of a kind for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he knows. Uh, Well, I hope so. I hope so. And let's, let's, let's play that opening track you were discussing. The song is seven off, off diary. I'll tell you right where it, when I first hit me, it was this drum fill. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's when it got me right away. Like, oh, I could do that, but that's amazing. And he, he has his Tom. It's like up here, right? He's yeah. like, he's a weirdo. <laughs> Such a good drummer. the lead singer's name is jeremy yeah yeah i mean nothing against his songwriting but without the drums being as busy as they are i don't know if this band would be as interesting i mean i think that nate and 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 william made these songs yeah they elevated them way more than people give them credit for yeah well you know if you listen to the third sunny day record which is which is called uh how it feels to be something on um they, they had taken a break and Nate wasn't in the band. Nate left the band. So Nate was in the, the bass player for the first two records. And then uh, the third and fourth Sunny Day records um, weren't him. And uh, it made a huge difference. And William toned his drumming down. He wanted to write, you know, he wanted to write parts. He wanted them to be, you know, more locked in with the music and, you know, sit out more where he needed to sit out or whatever. And it became, it, it was just a different style, but, you know, Sunny Day, you know, LP one and two are very different than three and four. And then they did that band, The Fire Theft, which is that, which was essentially was Sunny Day Real Estate again under a different band name. Um, and it was the same thing. You know, it was just it was really I. You know, people that like that band love those records, but it's different for sure. You know, it, it totally is that. You know, that hyperactive fucking just. You know, it's like Animal from the Muppets playing drums. You know, like it's just. Mm-hmm recorded with a fucking weirdo jeremy voice over it you know like it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just so different i have to what was the 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 record you said that you uh first heard jeremy's solo record so return of the frog queen it's his return. first solo record 
the opening track on that. I think, and I actually, I think William played drums on the opening track. There's okay. not really like much drums. It's like pretty fucking whimsical shit. Like you listen to that when you're playing D and D. But it's, I mean, it's good. It's cool. It's different. You know, it's really different. But yeah, I think I, I want to say William played dr- drums on a track or two. But um, yeah, it's really cool. And then you know, William's new band is great. Um, yeah, assertion, what's the name of that? Ex- assertion, Explo- assertion, assertion. Yeah, they're they're really great. They just put out a, a new record, and they I think they're about to put out a second record. And you know, it's, um, I was lucky enough. One of the a band that I was in um, that we're we're actually going to put out the record, but we we were banned for like a year and then broke up. Um, it was me and uh, Chris, who was the original bass player, band and band of horses. Um, mm. We did. We were called Time Pieces, and we have a record coming out this year i guess it is coming out this year um but we played some played some stuff with assertion and it was just you know it was me sitting there going like this while watching william play drums <laughs> you know like it's just it's it's very well written again but just his power again is just so fucking good. i'm old man he's even older than me and i'm like i can't even play dude i can i can barely hack the one song a month i've got to learn with the, for the fucking drummer collective now <laughs> Yeah, I know. I remember the first time when uh, it was a year and a half after we were playing and we had to do that live stream for Eve 6. And I was like, dude, I haven't played for 45 minutes since since a year and a half. You know, I'm like yeah. playing for 10 minutes and I'll be on my Instagram for 20 minutes and then I'll play yeah. half a song and be like, whoo, I'm winded. You yeah, know, I was I was actually afraid for my safety. Yeah, I remember uh, just just recently, like whenever minus the bear does something like people always comment you know like send me comments or whatever and someone mm-hmm. was like oh i heard because re- they were putting out that live record that they, that they just put out and someone was like oh you know i heard there's a reunion tour are you gonna play drums on it and i honestly looked at it and i just fucking laughed because <laughs> i was like at this point i could not fucking imagine playing for an hour and a half yeah like i'm i'm done with that phase of my life you know like i'm just I'm too old at this point and I've gained too much weight and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm done, man. It would be, it would be too, be too hard. I couldn't do it. I was going to ask one thing. I'm th- this might be, um, not even in the episode, but I read that when you were writing, um, planet of ice that you went and saw a laser light show. Was that at the Pacific science center? Yeah, we did. Um, so I, I smoked a lot of pot then. And, um, I was like, I wonder what it's like to go to, I I didn't grow up going to light shows and I went to the Pacific science center and I saw like laser Floyd or something and it was awesome. It was really fucking cool. And so I went to, um, the band first and then I went to, uh, suicide squeeze the record label. And I said, what if we contacted the Pacific science center? And when we release planet of ice, we had them write a light show to it. And that would be our record release show. And so we did, and the science center hadn't done that before and they do it a lot now. Um, but wow. they did, they got, they got an advanced copy of planet of ice and they, the two laser technicians wrote a whole thing to go along with the record. And so the record release show was at the Pacific science center. And when you, when you bought a ticket and you came in, you got a copy of the record. And then that was everyone's first listening was sitting at the, at the fucking laser light show, listening to the record as a whole. In that dome and doing thing. Yeah. yeah. And then d- watching a laser light show while you heard Planet of Ice for the first time. Um, and it was so fucking cool. Yeah. We did this. Um, we MTV came up and did a bunch of filming with us. And we actually rented out the planetarium. And they like did all this filming of us at, uh, at the laser light thing and shit. And it was, you know, it was pretty epic. It was, it was yeah. pretty sweet, man. But yeah, it totally started around me being a fucking pothead and 
going. <laughs> I, I wonder what Laser the Wall is like, bro. You know. Yeah, the only I've only seen seen one show there, and it was Coldplay. Um, and nothing against Coldplay, but probably not as cool as Minus the Bear or Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah, but gotta say it, man. Lasers are pretty fucking cool. And like, you know, here's here's the thing about the laser light shows that I like. <laughs> that needs to be uh, the promo for the episode. Just you going, lasers are cool, dude. Lasers are cool. The thing that I like about it, and I, I, you know, I've been to like laser this band, laser this band. The thing that I like about the laser shows, like Laser Dark Side of the Moon, Laser Wall, uh, the ones I've been to, Houses of the Holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like about it is that you sit down and listen to a record. You know, like people just don't fucking do that. And like, I'm old and I like the idea of like, which is why in the drummer collective, why we do full albums, Mm -hmm. you know, like no one gives a shit, man. No one wants to watch a fucking eight drummers play a full record. But for me, I'm like, I like it. I like full albums. And the laser light show does that for me, you know, or it did it for me, I should say, where I would have to sit down and you have nothing else to do, but look at lasers and listen to a fucking record. And you would hear the sequencing of it. You'd hear every little fucking thing. It was sounded loud and awesome, and it was just beautiful. And that was what, um, in particular, that minus the bear record, like that was what I wanted. Not just me, I shouldn't say that. Sorry, what the band wanted to be was to be, a, you know, a sit down, listen to the record kind of thing. And so it was at the time it was very fitting for it. And honestly, like one of my one of my favorite fucking things in our in our career, like us and our girlfriends and families at the time, like all sitting in this fucking thing, going like. What did these people create? This laser show to our fucking music, you know, it was so weird, yeah. but uh, but it was so cool and like uh, it was a different and unique album release. Um, we wanted to do them. My goal was that I wanted to do them all across the country, uh, like you know, every major city would have one. But uh, you know, money <laughs> that should sure. cost money, and yeah, yep, yeah. Well, I, I can also see too how depending on what the the laser technicians heard or what what parts stood out to them someone could listen to it and then there's this light thing that's kind of going along with the bass part then they're like oh my god i never would have heard that but this visual now makes me think of this riff that i would have never heard it gone over my head it's a completely different artistic dynamic the Mm -hmm. art of laserology whatever the fuck you call it you know like it sounds right that's the thing that i that's the, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you can call it silly or whatever, but like, you know, you listen to, you know, we make fucking music videos, right? And some director or some fucking weirdo has an idea of what visual things should go along with it. And like, you know, I was like, we should fucking pay these people, like, that we should release Planet Advice with the fucking laser light show to go along with it. You know, like, it's, it's just such a different thing and it brings out especially when you're sitting there and you're you know high as fuck like we were listening to Coldplay or minus the bear yeah. uh you know you just get this it it really does bring out different stuff you know it's the it, it connects the visual to the to the audio in just such a different way it's cool what projects are you a part of right now that you're kind of working on that you want to maybe get people privy to outside of the indie drummer collective and what you're doing with that um, I mean, that's that's pretty full time. Um, I play in a band called Ghost Work, mm-hmm. uh, which is me, um, Sean, who used to be in the band Mile Marker, Dustin, who is in the band, who's in the band Snapcase, and then uh, Aaron, the singer of that band Seaweed. Mm. Um, so we have we have a record out and we are we are working on another record, but it's all remote. None of us have even ever been in the same room together. Um, oh, wow. And then uh, I, I mentioned this band called Time Pieces, which um I, I wish we would have been a band, but or continue being a band. Someone, um, someone described it as this makes me feel like I'm in Chicago in 1998. 
and it was like it was awesome it was like it's it's like midwest for lack of a better word for what emo used to be like it's throwback music and uh that record's coming out this year but we're not we might play a couple shows surrounding it but our um our guitar player moved to cleveland and he tours with uh silver sun pickups all the time so he's never around but um that record's really fucking cool but besides that it's it man I just work my goofy nine to five job and uh organize 120 drummers well, thank you so much, man. Um, I'll let you go. I'm going to go put a different ice pack in. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Right. Cheers, dude. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.